Welcome back to another episode of True Crime in Academia. As always, I am your host, Mary DePippi. I hope you all are having a wonderful weekend, or had a wonderful weekend, and I hope you are enjoying your Sunday. It's actually pretty cold out over here. It looks really nice outside, like it's gorgeous, but it's just colder <laughs> than I expected. But thank you all for being so patient with me this week. I really appreciate it. Don't worry, we are on track for this week. Well, if you're a subscriber, you will get an episode this week. If you're not, I'm sorry. You have to wait a week. But I will have something for you. I was going to maybe take off the week of Thanksgiving, but I changed my mind. I will give you guys an episode for that just because you all deserve it. And I really appreciate your support. And I really just want to make sure that I'm getting back on schedule and you know there's been a lot going on um, in my life so the podcast has kind of been put not on the back burner but it's been on a lower list of priorities lately so you know I'm really trying to now get past all of that and just focus on the podcast and the podcast social media and things like that so fingers crossed everyone this week's case is really, really tragic and frustrating. I mean, they all are, aren't they? But this story takes place actually, again, in New Jersey, my home state, just up north. So it's definitely interesting to hear about these cases because this one was actually more recent. And I, the fact that it wasn't on my radar, I'm a little annoyed at myself for that. But without any further ado, let's get into it. Real quick before we start, yeah, I don't know what's going on with my voice right now. (laughs) I know it sounds like a little weird and raspy or something. I don't, I don't know, but bear with me. On the early morning of December 3rd, 2016, an Uber driver was driving down the Route 35 bridge in Belmar, New Jersey, when they noticed an abandoned car on the side of the road. The driver thought it was weird and... They had just a bad feeling about it, so they called the police. Officers were dispatched to the vehicle, and they found that the doors were unlocked and the keys were still in the ignition. Other than that, though, there was nothing wrong with the car. They ran the plates, and they found that the car belonged to a 96-year-old woman named Lillian Stern from Neptune City, New Jersey. The police tracked her down, and they found out that Lillian hadn't been driving the car. Her 19-year-old granddaughter, Sarah, had, and no one had really seen Sarah since the day before. Sarah Stern was the only child born to Michael and Carla Stern on March 24, 1997. She was described as a kind, hardworking, talented artist. She would often display her artwork on Twitter, and she went to Brookdale Community College, where she was continuing her passion for art, but she was also majoring in film as well. By all accounts, Sarah had a really happy childhood, but sadly in 2013, she experienced 
one of the most tremendous losses you could when her mother sadly passed away from cancer. Now, Sarah had many friends, but one of her longest and oldest friends was this guy named William McAstney. The two had met in grade school when they were about like six years old, but they really didn't become friends until like middle school. But since then, they had remained close throughout those middle school, high school, and now college years. Liam McAstony was born in 1997 to Quinn and Megan McNasty. They were McNasty. Jeez, I'm sorry. This last name is so hard to say. I'm not going to say it anymore. I don't think after this, though. So we're good. But anyway, he was born in Neptune City, New Jersey, and he had one younger sister and a twin brother named Jameis. It was said that he was kind of a jokester and really funny and well-liked by a lot of people. He and Sarah both were, actually. And it was also said that, you know, they both came from middle-class families. So, you know, they weren't struggling or anything, but they lived fairly comfortably. The two families were close as well, and it was said that when Sarah's mother died, Liam and his family were really there for them during that. So again, by all accounts, these two are very, very close, or at least they seem to be. On December 2nd, 2016, Sarah and Liam went to one of Sarah's neighbor's houses. She was home alone because her father was in Florida, and she had asked the neighbor, you know, if she could store some of her mom's belongings there just for a little while. The neighbor noted that Sarah seemed like really sad and depressed and made some negative comments about her dad and how she wasn't very trusting of him at that moment in time. So if I were the neighbor, like my guess would be that would be why Sarah's asking to store things at her house and not, you know, leaving them at the house that she shares with her dad, which is kind of sad, you know. From the neighbor's house, Sarah and Liam are seen going out and running errands, which included a trip to the bank and stopping at Taco Bell for lunch, which, great choice, obviously. I mean, you can never go wrong with a Crunchwrap or a cheesy gordita. And there, I mean, there is CCTV footage to back this up. However, something that doesn't seem important now, but will later, (laughs) is that when you know, Liam is asked about their day by the police, you know, when Sarah goes missing, he forgets to mention the bank trip. But police kind of just brush this off, given, you know, that Liam was just finding out that his best friend was missing. And that, you know, it could have just slipped his mind, given, you know, the stress of all that. They were trying to be empathetic. And I get it. Back to December 2nd. Sarah and Liam, after running all of those errands, they go back to Sarah's house, you know, like I said, where she lived with her dad and also her dog. And I'm not mentioning that just because I love dogs, but that will come back later. Anyway, at some point, Liam leaves for work, which is at the local steakhouse. At 11.45 p.m., a neighbor's security camera picks up someone driving out of Sarah's driveway And I say that because, like, the footage itself, it's hard to say for sure who is driving, but it appears to be Sarah, essentially. But it's not confirmed. Now, this is considered to be the last sighting 
of Sarah or her car until early morning the next day when the Uber driver finds it. Police look more into Sarah's life and they uncover that during this bank trip, she accessed her safety deposit box and took some cash that she had stored inside of it out. Now, before Sarah's mother had died, she had stored money in boxes in hiding places all over the house. And Sarah had found some of them, possibly all of them, but we don't know for sure. But she took the money that was in there and she put them in a safety deposit box for safekeeping. She had only taken out about $10,000. And when the officers accessed the box, there was, only, there was about $25,000 still in it. But all of the bills were really of old, outdated money. So it's very distinguishable cash. Now, if we pull all of the possibilities of Sarah's disappearance at this point, if she were to run away on her own, why would she leave all of that money behind? Now, granted, aside from Liam, other people and other of her friends knew that she did want to leave and go to Canada and you know, start a new life there with her dog and not have to worry about her dad anymore. So again, if she was running away for this reason, why would she leave all of that money behind in a safety deposit box? And also when the police searched her home, the dog was found locked in the crate still. So again, Sarah's close relationship with her dog, she wouldn't, there's no way she would have left the dog behind. So doesn't really make sense to police or anyone that knew her that her running away wasn't like it just wasn't a viable option. Now, like I said, police searched Sarah's house and they specifically searched her room. And again, they find her passport and social security card. You know, again, documents you would not want to leave behind when you're starting and supposedly starting a new life in Canada. Now, as I had mentioned, Liam, of course, had been questioned by police and he confirmed that she had problems with her dad and that she wanted to move and run away to Canada. But Liam also had mentioned that Sarah had suffered from depression to the point that she had considered suicide. Now, I can't find that like to be confirmed that like anyone else backed that up and even still I can't say that it's a viable option because, you know, aside from her neighbor saying that she looked upset, you know, about these issues with her dad. Otherwise, she seemed like she was enjoying life. You know, she was pursuing her passions and, you know, she had a plan to get out and a means to do it. You know, it seemed like she was just waiting for the right opportunity to do so. So it really didn't make sense that way, you know, that she would take her own life. But, you know, again, without her having her passport or her social security card, it was just highly unlikely that she fled to Canada. So, and again, without any other physical evidence, you know, police were considering suicide at that point. So search teams were deployed on the ground, air, and water, but sadly, they had no luck in recovering Sarah's body. Even searches of the surrounding areas afterwards came up empty. And it was determined that if she had jumped off of that bridge on Route 35 or was dumped, it would have been possible that her body could have been carried out to the Atlantic Ocean. 
which at that point it would have been extremely difficult if not near impossible to find her two months had passed and finally police get a lead a man and filmmaker named Anthony Curry came forward to police saying that he might have information regarding what happened to Sarah Stern. As I said, Anthony was a filmmaker, but he was also really good friends with Liam. The two of them were huge horror fans, and they would sometimes exchange horror film ideas, you know, that they would want to make. Anthony told police that he had hung out with Liam on Thanksgiving of 2016, just over a week before Sarah was last seen. While they were hanging out, Liam suggested a horror movie idea that, you know, at first Anthony didn't find strange because, again, this was something that they did. Liam's idea was that a girl would be murdered via strangulation and then her body would be thrown over a bridge with the help of an accomplice. Now, like I said, this was something that they did. Anthony didn't find it strange. Even the following week when he learned about Sarah's disappearance on social media, he wasn't thinking that Liam's horror movie pitch and Sarah's disappearance would at all be related, you know? It wasn't until Liam had reached out to Anthony via Snapchat that Anthony knew something was wrong. Because... Liam asked Anthony very simply if he was approached or asked to speak with the police. So, yeah, I mean, I'd argue it's safe to say that, you know, if someone you're friends with is asking you that question, you know, something's probably wrong. So he responds by saying, you know, no, dot, 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 why? Which I feel like I would, that's a reasonable response. I'd probably say the exact same thing. Liam responds to that message by saying that the two of them need to talk. And Anthony said to the police at that moment, you know, alarm bells were going all off. He knew he needed to talk to them. So he explains to investigators Liam's horror film idea from that night. And he believes that it's related to Sarah's disappearance. Anthony also provided investigators with screenshots of this conversation that they had about him needing or him talking to police. Now, at first, police were like, why didn't you come forward sooner? You know, but, at the, you know, like I said, he did, they, they were friends. He knew that they were friends there. He just wasn't thinking that in any way these two things would be related. But again, it also wasn't like Liam wasn't being cooperative with police, you know. He had pretty much answered all of their questions when he was called in for questioning and had been seen actually on the front lines at various search parties for her. So, you know, it it was hard to make him to be a credible suspect. But, you know, true crime friends, we all know how misleading and manipulative some people can be. So now police are becoming a little more suspicious of Liam based off of what Anthony has to say. But they start to remember like the interviews they've had with him. And in one interview specifically, it was the third interview that he had come in for. He had actually asked police that if she had jumped off the bridge, what were the odds of her 
being in the Atlantic Ocean. But, you know, very much like Anthony, the police didn't think too much of it at the time. Which, again, to some extent I could see. Again, they seemed to be very empathetic towards him. And, you know, he'd already been questioned by police twice. So he kind of probably has pieced together in some way that they're suspecting that she committed suicide. Also because he's had or because he had told them that she was suicidal. You know, they might be suspecting that maybe he wants closure, you know, because if they're not going to be able to find her body, maybe it might be comforting for him to maybe have an understanding of that's maybe where she is. Now, spoilers, that is not why he asked that question, ladies and gentlemen. And, you know, like I said, in hindsight, I can see how a sympathetic person or an empathetic person could see that as a non-threatening question. But now with Anthony's statement, police realize that this question might have had a darker meaning. So police decide to take a chance and they ask Anthony if he can meet with Liam in person and agree, you know, to not really wear a wire, but have hidden cameras in his car and, you know, get footage of this conversation. Anthony agrees. So the cops ask Anthony to ask Liam for money for a new camera. You know, just say like, you know, you accidentally broke yours during a shoot. Now, first to me, I was like, this seems weird because, you know, Liam already wanted to see him. But police figured that if he stole money from Sarah or from Sarah's bank trip specifically, he might have the extra cash. Hate your crime friends. If you're like me, you love personalized merch and you love shopping local. So here is one of my favorite local vendors to buy from. It's Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. My friend Mandy makes the most incredible personalized crochet goods and decor for your home. Spooky season is coming up. She has some of the coolest Halloween designs. So go follow her on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. Again, that's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. And place your order with her today. Hey guys! And welcome to Spilling the Crime, a true crime podcast hosted by... Me, Umberto Mello. And me, Jonas Grancha. Join us in this big adventure where we will be talking about crimes with a tipsy twist. How this crime happened, I want to know what the fuck is the unwrapped chocolate. Her name is Sharma Melgenlings. Magma... Magmar? Magmar meningitis? What? Where's the dick, Lorena? Where is the dick? Oh! What is this? Are those your enemies? <laughs> are they after me too? <laughs> Do you ever feel like a plastic bag? <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> and then he masturbated on the carpet. <laughs> Dangerous I mean, yeah, question. No, well, yeah, yeah. Why? <laughs> we did not agree with this. <laughs> Carl said that. Don't compare. Like, what? Don't copyright us! Don't copyright us, yes, please don't block us. So, grab your glass, because this peeling is about to begin. <laughs> now, I didn't actually hear the phone call between Anthony and Liam, 
But it was said that Anthony asked him specifically if he could borrow that girl's money. To which Liam responded, maybe. Now, at some point, Liam says that he doesn't want to talk about it over the phone and that he wants to meet up in person because it's probably safer. So on January 31st, 2017, that's when they decide to meet up at a local parking lot. Liam gets out of his car and into Anthony's. And again, the cameras have already been hooked up inside and outside of Anthony's car, and they've been mic'd up so they can hear everything. When Liam gets into the car, he actually asks Anthony if he can search him for a wire because he, quote, can't be too careful, end quote. You know, that's not suspicious or anything. He also says that the FBI has been on his ass. Again, quite suspicious. I mean, police are one thing, FBI is a whole other ball game. Now, Anthony asks Liam if he has the cash. Immediately, Liam starts complaining and states that he didn't get as much money as he thought he would, and that the money that he got was old and more fragile than most. Again, this is because of the old money that Sarah's mom had stored in boxes all over the house. Liam says to Anthony at one point that he had expected to get 50 to 100 grand and was annoyed that he barely got 10000 Liam confesses to Anthony that he had actually been planning Sarah's murder for about six months beforehand. The reason being was because he knew Sarah had gotten a lot of money when her mother died. I mean, what kind of fucking human being is this? I mean, they were, ba- they were supposedly best friends. Like, I don't... <sighs> and again, like, it, it's not like they were from families who were struggling like they had money so it's like i i i don't i don't get it i don't anyway he states again how annoyed he is at the state of the bills because they're in terrible shape and how some of them look like they were burned but you know like he's just such a piece of shit for even being so picky about this it's just so repulsive in and of itself i fucking hate this guy Anyway, he says that he knows that spending those bills would be a huge red flag, so that was out of the question. You know, and again, what's sad about this, though, is that when Sarah found this money, Liam was literally the first person she told because she was so excited. And again, he was supposed to be her best fucking friend. Oh my god, I Like in his horror film idea from Thanksgiving, Liam says that he got help from a guy named Preston Taylor. Preston just so happened to have been Sarah's junior prom date and was also Liam's roommate. (laughs) It's just... It feels like it just doesn't stop getting worse, does it? At first, he says that they thought that they would get Sarah drunk and then strangle her... But then they decided they couldn't do that because they weren't sure of how to dispose of the body when they were done. Even though at one point they thought maybe they would leave it in the house. But then they realized, you know, we can't, you know, because might, we might leave evidence behind. So they, they then decided to go with a different plan. 
Liam said that he would, you know, spend the day with her before he had to go to work. But before leaving work, he would strangle her and leave her body in the bathtub. Now, Preston would already be outside waiting to go, and he would come in after Liam left, and he would take her body out to the bushes, which I I don't understand the point of that, but that's what it was. When Liam would get done work, he would return to the house, and the two of them would steal the safe that Sarah put the money in, and then they would put Sarah's body into her own car in the passenger side and drive out to the bridge on Route 35. Then Liam would dump her body over the bridge into Shark River and he would quickly stage the car to look like, you know, it was a suicide and then he would jump into Preston's car and they would just drive off into the sunset. And as I said, this is actually what they did. You know, Liam says this to Anthony. He also mentions to Anthony how difficult it was and he didn't realize, you know, that certain issues would come up. For example, how long it would take to strangle someone. Because he literally, this psychopath, literally scheduled it all out. So that way it would all fit in, you know. He's on a timeline when you think about it. I mean, he he wants to strangle her before he has to go to work and he can't believe it's taking longer than he's expecting. He even admits sickly that at one point he put a timer to see how long it would take. I mean... His The video of this is in the sources at the bottom of the description. It is the last one. He goes into such graphic detail about how he kills her and what happens and how the dog watched at one point that hurt. And um, it's just, it's so fucking repulsive. I force myself to do this so like I watched it however you know if if you don't want to you don't have to I'm gonna give you the cliff notes version of this but like I said it's there if you if you are so inclined so aside from you know just Sarah not dying quickly enough you know because that was ruining his uh ironclad alibi with you know how he timed everything out and shit he says that he also had lost his phone before going to work and you know he you know she took too long to die so he couldn't waste time doing that so you know he just he had to go but thankfully he found it when he came back because it was in the driveway He also mentions at one point that, you know, he actually paid attention to how Sarah drove that day. So that way, when he backed the car out, it would look as if she was doing it and not someone else. I mean, like the audacity and just how premeditated and how thought out it was. I mean, good God. 
Another issue he says he faced, again, confessing this to Anthony, was that he didn't realize how heavy a dead body was going to be. He said at one point he, you know, gets Sarah's car to the bridge. He's getting ready to throw her body over, but she's heavier than he's expecting to be. And he sees headlights coming and he's like, oh shit. And, you know, with the rush of adrenaline, he's able to get her body back into the car and wait for that car to leave. Because at this point, Preston's turning around and waiting, you know, to pick him up after he's done. But, you know, because they can't communicate via telephone, they had actually been communicating via walkie-talkie. And he says to him that he needs help because, you know, she's too heavy. So he drives over. He helps Liam throw Sarah's body over a bridge on Route 35 into Shark River. Then he then, you know, is able to stage it and the two of them drive away. Now, I don't understand how Anthony kept his cool this entire time. There are a few points he interjects with like very, very minimal comments like, dude, that's so crazy, like, it's just like a movie, you know, but I'm sure he must have, like, been ready to shit himself, because, I mean, Liam is just so nonchalant and kind of cocky about this whole thing, and he even says to Anthony that he feels no different, but, like, something to the effect of, like, you know, can't live a boring life, which, ugh, again, I don't know how he did it, But I'm glad he did it. I'm glad that he had the courage to do it. Because we wouldn't know what happened to her if it weren't for him. Now, after this conversation, they say goodbye. Liam leaves, you know, and goes back home. Police now have this evidence. So on February 2nd, 2017, Liam is officially arrested. And the charges against him are lengthy. Well, were lengthy. We have first-degree murder, first-degree felony murder, first-degree robbery, second-degree desecration of human remains, second-degree conspiracy to desecrate human remains, and last but not least, second-degree hindering apprehension. Preston, of course, was arrested soon after and was charged with second-degree desecration of human remains, second-degree conspiracy to desecrate human remains, and second-degree hindering apprehension. Police presented the information they had to Sarah's father, Michael, and he was just in complete and utter shock. I mean, Liam and Sarah had grown up together. This was jarring for him to hear. I mean, he had also seen this boy grow up, and, you know, he just couldn't understand how he could do this to his daughter. I mean, he you know, helped quote-unquote look for Sarah when she first disappeared. You know, to him, it just didn't make any sense. But sadly, you know, we know that sometimes the truth can be harder to believe than fiction. Because Sarah's body was never found, the community decided to hold a celebration of Sarah's life, and they did this on July 15th, 2017. It was held at the local community center where they displayed Not only pictures that people had shared of Sarah, but her artwork. And people were able to come by, they spoke, shared memories of Sarah. And it was said that thousands of people showed up there to honor her that day. 
As the trial began, the superior court judge that presided over the cases stated that Preston folded faster than anyone he has ever seen, which to me, not surprising. But of course, Preston agreed to testify against Liam for a plea bargain. Preston stated to the courts that their plan had started out with just burglary and then escalated to murder. Preston actually also led investigators to two different locations where he and Liam had buried the money that they stole. Now, like Liam, Preston thought that he would be getting over $100,000 in this, but they only stole $10,000, or just close to it, which Preston agreed to a $3,000 cut. Preston also stated to the courts that he felt pressured to go along with Liam's plan because of his close friendship with him. At the end, he addressed the courts and apologized and hoped for the best. Preston was sentenced to 18 years in prison with the opportunity for parole in 2032, so literally 10 years from now. During Liam's trial, obviously his lawyers tried to make Preston look like a liar, which pretty standard for a defense attorney, I guess. They also tried to say that without a body, there was actually no definitive way to prove that Liam committed this crime. They also, through shade at Anthony Curry's recording of Liam confessing, stated that, you know, Liam thought it was an audition and that Anthony was just trying to use this as a publicity stunt to boost his film career. Sure, okay, but whatever, that's what they did. The defense called a witness, a man named Craig Hetzel Sr. Now, Craig claimed that he was out driving that night, December 2nd, or actually, well, December 3rd, because it was around 5 a.m. He says that he saw Sarah walking down the bridge from her car in, like, a leather bomber jacket with a fluffy collar and high-heeled shoes on. Now, my dear listeners, you, you... Hopefully I've seen the pictures on the social media. This is not at all seems to be like something that Sarah would wear. Like, just no. (laughs) But anyway, he said that a few days later he saw Sarah's missing persons poster and just made the connection. And he was just so sure that that's who it was. But police confirmed that Sarah's car was towed from that location two hours before Craig drove by and claimed to have seen her. Liam's mother, Megan, had spoken up on about her son's involvement in the case. And she said that, you know, there's no way he could have killed anyone, you know, especially not Sarah, because he loved and adored her. She also questioned why Sarah's body was never found. And she stated that, you know, she had grown up there. And if, you know, someone or something went into the river, it washed up somewhere. Which is why she says that she refuses to believe not only that her son killed Sarah, but that Sarah's body was dumped over in the river. Because, you know, it would have been found by now. But it also seemed like it gave her hope that, you know, Sarah had just ran away. After the five-week trial, the jury found Liam guilty on all counts. And this was on June 21st, 2019. He was sentenced to life without parole, plus an additional 10 years. He is currently serving his sentence at NJ State Prison, which houses some of New Jersey's most violent offenders. Yeah, so I mean, at least he got what was coming to him, I guess, you know? 
And, you know, thankfully, it seems like the family has some closure as to what happened to Sarah. So. It's still just so, so tragic, you know, that this wonderful young woman had to be lost and taken from us in this way. It's just, it's so horrible. And it just sucks so bad that it was someone she really, really trusted. Like, to me, I think that's like the most... Or one of the most fucked up parts about this whole case. But anyway, my dearies, that is all I have for you this week. Do not forget to like, comment, subscribe, follow, do all of the things. Also, don't forget to follow True Crime and Academia on social media, on Instagram and TikTok. I'm at True Crime and Academia. And on Twitter, it is at TC in Academia. If you would like to not have to wait a week every month for a new episode because of the, you know, Patreon only week, then go over to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber. So that way you can just have four weeks a month or, you know, just not ever have to have a skip of true crime and academia. And like I said, it's all bonus content. I also put up the videos of the interviews that I've done. So if you want to take a look at those, I have them up there. But until next time, please stay safe, stay healthy, do all of the things, and I will see you later. Thank you so much for listening to the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Welcome to the fall season. The Ivory Tower Boiler Room is a public humanities podcast where we interview writers, scholars, performers, and artists. Episodes air on Mondays. I am Andrew Rimby, the executive director. I'm so happy to welcome my team, Mary DePippi, our chief contributor, Kimberly Dallas, our editor, and an amazing fall group of interns. Thank you to this team. Please follow the Ivory Tower Boiler Room on TikTok and Instagram at Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Easy to remember. Our Twitter is at Ivory Boiler Room. And we have a whole new design for our Patreon. It is called the Ivory Tower Boiler Room Cafe because you're joining us and eavesdropping on our conversations that are unedited videos of all of our Ivory Tower Boiler Room episodes as if you're eavesdropping in a cafe overhearing the conversation. Well, talking about overhearing a conversation, hi, Mary. Hello, Andrew, and hello, everyone. I'm Mary DePippi, the host of True Crime and Academia, a podcast, well, a true crime podcast that is focused mainly on the crimes committed by and to those in the field of academia. Episodes air every Tuesday at noon. You can follow True Crime and Academia on Instagram and TikTok at True Crime and Academia and on Twitter at TC in Academia because Twitter hates extra characters, as we all know. And as Andrew alluded to earlier, we have a Patreon, and True Crime and Academia has exclusive bonus episodes for subscribers. As a true crime enthusiast, I don't necessarily like to pigeonhole my true crime interests. So over on the Patreon, I cover some of the more high-profile cases not related to academia, such as the murder of JonBenet Ramsey, and the case of Casey Anthony. So if you want access to videos like that, go over to patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room and become a subscriber. Thank you all for joining us. And here's to an amazing fall season. Bye. Whoop, whoop.
Bye, everyone.